Welcome to Around the Wheel Podcast. I am Brett Tax, and today I am talking with Jake Fry, who is a Patreon supporter. Jake owns a BMW R1250 and has a question about suspension and whether he should upgrade and what the drawbacks are and what the benefits are. So we're going to dive into this and let's get started. I grew up on a farm. You know, my brother and I had little dirt bikes and we mucked around and it was a terrific kind of childhood and it was lots of fun. Through my 20s and 30s, I always had a bike. They were always ratty old BMW road bikes. And to be quite frank, I'd do the odd trip, like drive across the country, but it was pretty rare and it was mostly for the proper posturing 20-year-old um, having a cool ratty old bike. When my daughter got older and I got back into it, it was great and I really enjoyed it. I had an accident, which in itself was both serious and ridiculously funny. I lost my front tire practicing emergency stopping, broke my knee and I broke my shoulder. And after mending up, I wanted to get a new bike, was looking at all the different road bikes and a friend of mine. And, and, and shall I assume ABS was high on the list? ABS, cornering, and I will be completely candid. It was both my fault from an execution level, but more importantly, I think it was a lesson about really paying attention to your tires. The rubber was just a little old. Doing these emergency stops at different speeds, and then I got up to 90K and tried one, and it scrubbed a bunch of speed off, but the tire at one point just turned into a skateboard. It was kind of old rubber, and it didn't grip uh, under that level of pressure, and I went down. So yes, the new equipment I have is an airbag and safety vest and uh, ABS. I'm a huge proponent of technology, and I often will find people arguing. So let's dig into this straight up yeah. on this, Jake. You've got a, a GS1250, and just yesterday I did a talk for ANS BMW, and one of the the comments that came up was ESA, and they go, "Well, what do I do with ESA? You know, how does that affect my ability to trail brake?" And there were other questions that were related to suspension and. What a lot of riders don't realize is those street skills that we focus on, because we are always focused on the off-road, that the suspension is what allows trail braking to work so effectively. That's what allows the traction loading to go, go to the front tire. That's what allows the throttle against the brake to put more traction or more ground pressure down on the back wheel as we go through the corner. And suspension is such a critical aspect of performing as a rider and that's what you had reached out to me for is just going, what do I do? I've got a 1250 and you mentioned, and I'm glad you queued in on this because a lot of riders miss it at 177 pounds. And how much is that uh, locally? Cause you're up in Canada. 177 pounds is about how much? Um, I'm going to give you the kilo weight in a sec. I measure in metric and I weigh in imperial. Oh. <laughs> well, anyways, at 177 pounds, it's kind of the ideal window for most manufacturers with stock suspension. And that begs the question, why are you considering a change in suspension? What's going on? What are you hearing? And let's uh, let's come up with a solution. Yeah. Why I was thinking about it is twofold. One, I went into an acquaintance of mine who runs a motorcycle shop to try and do a preload on my bike going, okay, well, I let's see if I can adjust this. And I guess with recognizing that with the BMW system and certain amount of sort of intuitive or sort of automatic adjustment, read, you know, the, the ubiquitous precision driving and the publications out of uh, the California Speed School, it's like, well, preload is still important, I figured, or I assumed. And there just isn't that adjustment. And I was going, well, 
I really felt that if I was going to set up the bike and I was going to be fairly serious about this and, and my driving is mixed of road and, and a bit of more for service road rather than single track, it was still worth doing that. And then I thought, well, I'd reach out to you to have that discussion if it was worth it at this skill level where I'm not doing single track, something I like to do moving ahead. But right now I'm just trying to acclimatize to this bike and this riding style because I've only ever done road work if this was a worthwhile investment or if it was something I should hold off for until I'm doing more single track, because it is a fairly significant financial commitment on this bike. Well, considering the fact you could buy a nice used dual sport for the price of suspension, <laughs> it's a pretty significant change. I, I was just doing the, the talk about the conversion that's on my 1200 GS with the Woody's wheels, the 2117, and then the suspension to go behind it. And if you do the Woody's and you do the TourTech Extreme suspension, it's a $7,000 investment U.S. I mean, that's, that's, that's a motorcycle. That's almost a, a 10 or a 700. But the question then goes is, why would I do that? And is it necessary for you? And I think you tie it into one of the biggest challenges of the 1200 GS is the BMW specifically. And that is, there is very little rider control over that suspension. You're, we're really at the whim of the engineers on what they think we want and what they think the bike should do. And this is the first bike when I switched my suspension on my 1200. And the reason I did it were twofold. One, the rider before me had modified the wheel set and I chose to keep that modified wheel set. So I had to correct the attitude of the motorcycle, which is where preload becomes very important on a motorcycle. We're going to come back to that. But that's one of the reasons that I made that switch. The other thing was I had over 30,000 miles on this particular bike and that rider before me rode the bike a lot like Paul does. So that bike spent as much time on its side as its wheels. And when he rode it, he rode it really hard. So it had a lot of off-road time. So at 30,000 miles out, suspension was relatively tired. To come back to your situation and going, okay, preload is perfect. That's a perfect place to start for every rider. And that's exactly where you start. Did you or have you measured the preload? or the sag on your motorcycle with the factory suspension? Yeah, it was supposed to be sitting, I think, 77 mils. And I was coming in at 72. So I was pretty close to where it should be. And that's on both ends? Yeah. But at the same time, going off the information that you'd provided in some of your videos, I was also going, well, what happens when I get into a forest servicery road? Is this your first Boxer GS or the first one to ride on this uh, Telever style suspension? No, the bike that I wiped out on with, uh, with the 1996 1100S. But yeah, prior to that, I've been riding like 20 years. I rode a 90S. Yeah, and that's one that challenge. Well, and that's something that anybody listening is going to have to recognize. And I'm going to end up probably with the conclusion that you're fine with what you have, given the the needs or the desires you have for the motorcycle versus the return on it. But we'll see where we end up. Let's dive into this whole SAG thing. When we look at SAG, SAG is the amount of travel you have for both a bump and for the extension. And that's what's going to matter when you go off-road. That's 72 millimeters of SAG. That's the amount of space your suspension can extend as you ride over bumps or into potholes. And that's what keeps us floating above it. That's what helps give us that stability. What a lot of riders don't understand is that sag, that's a key element, but having the correct spring to get the sag is more important. And again, at 77, you know, at 177 pounds, you're probably spot on unless you start putting a lot of luggage on. 
what a lot of riders don't understand is that if they add that preload and they get up to the proper sag, they assume they're in good shape. And BMW hides that. It masks that from us. On the, the later model GSs, and I mean like even 2014, they had the auto leveling. All that does is adjust the rear preload to correct the ride height. So it's a ride height correction. But if it's maxed out, or if, it, if it's compressed as much of that spring as possible to get up to that ride height, it's going to be a very rough and very unstable ride because it's not the right spring. In fact, a heavier spring designed to carry heavier weight will be a smoother ride. And anybody that's ridden around in a one-ton truck without a load understands this. If you have a stiff spring with no load, it feels horrible. But on the other hand, if you get a half-ton truck and you overload it, you end up swaying and swagging all over the place. And even if you add preloads or airbags on it, it's still not going to ride like that one ton with a full load. That one ton with a full load feels really good. And that's the key is it's not whether you have a heavy spring or a light spring, it's whether that spring is correct for your weight and your load. It's really not going to make a, a ton of difference whether you're on pavement or you're off-road. For our case and the way we generally ride adventure bikes, it's going to be about the same. As long as we have a spring that's sprung for the correct weight, we're in good shape. On that note, we almost always end up being oversprung when we order aftermarket springs. So if you go to Tour Tech, if you go to Tractive, you're going to do one of the two because they're the only two that make suspension for the GS that is specific for that bike. Anything else, you know, like the Wilbers, they actually modify the stock body. You're not getting new suspension. So it's only Tractive that makes this, and Tour Tech is made by Tractive. So either one, you're just going to buy whatever you get the best buy on. I bought mine from the Beamer shop down in California because they import it here in the States. But also in the past, I've always bought the TourTech stuff because they were all that was available for a long time. And they, they're right here in Seattle, right up the road from me. But when we get that spring, what most of the manufacturers will end up doing or the people who set up suspensions, they will make it too stiff because the riders think they need a stiff ride to be correct. And in fact, that little bit of a wallow you may sometimes feel on that GS, that little bit of a loose feel, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's energy flexing through the frame, through the suspension, through the tires. And when a bike feels absolutely rock solid and there, you can't feel any movement whatsoever on the handlebars, on the bike or anything else, that's actually a little bit, generally it's a little past your peak traction. And Paul Feed, who is the owner and the primary engineer for Race Tech Suspension out of California, did a, a book with Lee Parks on this, and it's the uh, Suspension Bible. And they talk about this, and he did a bunch of testing with off-road bikes and how much spring and how much compression and rebound was necessary to get the, the greatest performance. What he found is it was almost always on the soft side, so just a little on the light side of compression, on the light side of rebound, and on the light side of sprung, meaning that we want to get into that ideal ride height. And you can check that. Here's another way you can check this. Wilbur's put a book out years ago, and it's one of my all-time favorites, but it's out of production now. They were the only one that really spent a lot of time talking about free sag. Paul talks about this, and Paul and Lee in, in that suspension Bible as well, but free sag is the amount of sag that spring will move or how much sag is under the weight of the motorcycle. If you are standing next to your 1250 GS. And you can do this when you crank your bike up to maximum on the rear, because we have that override. 
Stand the bike up under its own weight and see how much sag you get in the suspension. It's, you generally, it should be 5 to 10 millimeters, so not a lot, but it should sag. If the bike doesn't sag at all, then that's too much preload. It's generally too light of a spring with too much preload in it. And that's what you're going to find when you crank that 1250 up. The idea is that you want to have that little bit of sag under its own weight, and then when you're on the bike, it ends up with the ideal sag with your weight on it. So let's, I go outside, I put it on maximum, and what would be the process to check that sag? Well, you need to have two people at a minimum. So you and one other person, if you have two friends, it's even better. And if you have two friends, we'll go with the two friend method because it's the the best for the pure amateur at doing this measurement, but it's a pretty easy, pretty easy way to go. What you'll do is you'll put on your riding gear and whatever you normally bring on your bike. If you have a tank bag with a camera in it, put the camera in the tank bag. If you carry half loaded luggage, half load your luggage, whatever your standard load and standard setting is, have that on the motorcycle because that's what you're setting it up for. It won't be perfect in any other setting, so go with the standard. Sit on the motorcycle and have one friend hold the bike upright. Now on a BMW, you're going to have very little stiction, which is the, it's the amount of effort uh, that takes to get initial movement. When you're looking at conventional forks, there's a lot of surface area in those forks. And the larger diameter of the forks, the more surface area there is. And of course, you have the metal, and then you have two bushings inside, and then you have the oil seal, and then you have a dust seal, and all this stuff creates friction. And stiction is the initial movement. That's what we're going to try to calculate out of the bike. One of the primary reasons that BMW went with the tail lever, besides the anti-squat properties when you're doing braking and riding, is that there's almost no stiction. Uh, and you'll find that on the rear suspension for most bikes. There's almost nothing back there. But on the front, you'll find quite a bit. And so there's three measurements we're going to take. It doesn't matter where the measurements are taken from as long as they're consistent. It's the result of that calculation that we're looking for. So the first thing we have to do is establish what is our full travel for suspension. We need a zero. And what you do is you either put the bike up on center stand, or if it's on a side stand, you push the bike so that the, the back wheel or the front wheel come off the ground just slightly so it's fully extended. And then what you have to do is find a measure point above and below the point of movement. So on the front, we have those fork legs that support the front, and you'll need to be someplace below on the lower fork leg and then up onto the main, uh, like up to the triple clamp or up on the upper part of the bike. So that's your initial measurement. If you don't have something to measure against, put a piece of tape on both. So you have a, a sharp edge and always measure in millimeters. And what you do is you extend that suspension on the back. You'll go from the swing arm up to the body, anywhere from directly up to about uh, 5 to 15 degrees forward you know, to calculate for swing arm swing. So either one, although it's not going to be huge unless we're getting really, really, really crazy about this. That's your first measurement. Write that down. Now, what we're going to do is measure the actual sag. And when you sit on the motorcycle, you'll have somebody hold it upright. So you're sitting in proper riding posture. They hold it. And the person with the measuring tape will take the bike and they'll compress the bike down. And they'll slowly let the bike raise back up and they'll take that measurement. And then they're going to take the take a hold of that bike. They're going to raise it up in the air, lift up on the suspension. And they're going to slowly let it settle. And they're going to write that number down. Now, the difference between those two numbers is that stiction. That's that resistance for movement. It may be 10 millimeters. It may be 5 millimeters. If it's really, really bad, it may be 15 millimeters. But we're going to average those two numbers together. Add them together, divide by two. 
and that's going to be your SAG number. And then you subtract that from your original full length number. And that's going to give you somewhere, you know, on a street bike, it's usually around 30, 35 millimeters. And as you've discovered on a off-road bike or an adventure bike, we're somewhere between the uh, 60 to, to 80 millimeter range, depending on how much travel there is. We want about one third. That doesn't really change much between street bikes or off-road bikes. So 20%, about 20 to 33% of the travel needs to be for extension. And the longer the travel suspension, you can drop that percentage down. You know, some of the KTMs and things like that that are nine and a half inches or nine inches, that may be 20%. To get that number, what is our total travel? There's nothing we can do on the bike to find that out. We have to look it up. So you just go online and find out what that travel is. If it says eight and a half inches, which often happens, you have to take that eight and a half inches, convert it to millimeters. If you can find it, millimeters even ideal. And then you can take your SAG and see what percentage of the SAG is for that, that total travel. And what I usually do is I find the total travel and then I make calculations at 20, 25, 30, and 35%. I just write those down in my, my book for maintenance and everything else. So I always kind of have a quick reference. So if I want to make changes, I can do that. On the GS, we don't have a lot of options, but on other bikes, I do. So anytime I want to go, yeah, we really want to take it up to 25% because of the type of riding I'm doing, I can just look in there and go, yep, I want to be there. I can do my SAG, set it, and off I go. So that's how we check SAG front and rear. Okay. And then SAG on that, just for clarity. So there's three of us. I hop on the bike with my gear. Or I got my pal holding the front of the bike somewhere. And then am I causing compression or is it the compression of me being on the bike that we're actually measuring? You just want to sit on the bike. They will compress the bike further and then allow it to relax and recover. And then they'll raise up on the bike and they'll drop it down. I said, on a GS, that number should be really, really close. You really shouldn't have any difference when you do that division, maybe five millimeters. If you start getting a lot, then you know you have a stiction issue. That's usually shock issues. On a GS, it's most likely going to be bearings or something that's binding up. The front, we still have those front fork legs, and they still have dust seals and everything else. So they do have more stiction than the rear. However, because those fork legs are non-functional, they're just there to hold the wheel on the motorcycle, there's very little that's in those. So it shouldn't have a very significant difference. Okay. That makes sense. Perfect. So this is what I did in the, extensively what I did with my mechanic friend in the shop. And, and indeed, these numbers are sort of bearing out with what you're describing right now. Which brings us back to the conclusion of going, you really don't need to change your suspension for your sag or springs. Now we come over to the other side of it. Now we have to get to talk about damping. All damping is, is strictly converting motion into a, a new type of energy. So motion is a type of energy. We want to convert it over to heat. A lot of people don't realize how hot suspension gets. If you do a off-road, if I ride my dirt bike off-road, which I don't own anymore. So in this case, we'll pretend it's my 790 because that's what I use as a dirt bike now. And if I have a really fun day and I'm going through a lot of whoops and a lot of movement in rock, my 800 GS where I blew up the rear shock, it wasn't a factory shock. It was a aftermarket. It was a race tech shock. The seals on those bodies couldn't handle it. But the shock got so hot, it actually exploded and the oil just spewed all over the bike and, and everything else. It was the temperature that really aggravated that weakness in that shock design. 
if you go through that sort of riding, you put your hand on the shock body, you'll burn yourself. It gets so hot. And of course, oil degrades over time. That's one of the reasons why at 30,000 miles, I chose to change my suspension on the 1200 because we do have this wear over time that we're not aware of. But that heat will also change the damping rates. So the compression and the rebound of that shock. Your bike, when you have your ESA on, automatically adjust your rebound. And there is no adjustment or manual or automatic for compression. You have two adjustments. That's it. That's what comes factory. If you're just riding on the road and you're doing casual touring, uh, some gravel roads, and you're just riding down the gravel roads and maybe a, a little dirt road here or there, chances are those settings are going to be pretty good. When it really starts to matter, and this is when you get to make the change and go, well, Brett, I, I'm going to spend a lot of money, is when you go, but I like being aggressive. I like riding more aggressive in the curves, or I do an occasional track day on my, my GS, not like a race day, but just like a street bike track day. I want to get into the dirt and really go into some of these places that that challenge the bike. Basically, I'm going to take my 1250 where it doesn't belong. If that's your riding style, then then you start going, we have a problem. These shocks aren't going to provide me the best stability, and they're not going to provide me the best cushion. And that's when we start upgrading those shocks and when we start needing those manual adjustments. This 1200 is the first one I've ever bought where I upgraded my suspension. I've had several bikes where I've had the, I like BMWs. I love other bikes, but I end up with a lot of BMWs. So I end up with a lot of the TourTech, the, the tractive suspension. This is the first time they have tractive branded, but I end up with these, which are an incredible suspension. I've always eliminated the ESA. I've always gone to a full manual shock where I have full control of the rebound and full control of the compression. And in retrospect, after spending extra money to, to allow the ESA to be functional on this, both I love the auto leveling, but the rebound, again, it, it's where it comes short. On these big adventure bikes, and this is where we break the rules for normal suspension settings, is the rebound, the back recovering, is excessive on almost all of these bikes. As soon as we put luggage on them, as soon as we have weight on the back, the problem, we come up over these little humps and that back end comes up so fast that it throws the back wheel off the hill as we come up and over. And I end up cranking down that rebound often to a max level to settle and control the back of the bike. And when I switch out to the street, then I reset it back to my street setting. Having the ability to manually adjust that rebound is something I gave up. And if I did it again, I would not do that again. I would go back to manual the way I always have. I love tweaking. I love adjusting. I don't think the ESA is bad, but it is not perfect. That's interesting because it would, because um, that was one of my questions too, which is that I was contemplating, you know, would I give up the ESA? You know, I get a couple more years on my warranty, and BMW said without the ESA, obviously it opens up um, a bunch of warranty claims that I couldn't make, but. I was thinking maybe that was something I would consider because my skill level picked up, you know, then when this warranty issue went away. So that's really interesting to hear you say that, that that's something you would consider. I suspect I saved around a thousand US by going with the Tractive brand as opposed to the TourTech branded Tractive. So orange instead of the gold shocks. And they're the same suspension. But on the other hand, when you go to a non-ESA conversion, they end up selling you a dongle that you have to put on the bike to trick the computer so that you're not getting errors thrown. Turns out on the BMW, 
they like to tie everything together. I just had my front sensor go bad on the ABS. And I'm guessing it's because of the Woody's wheels. The sensor is a pressed ring that goes in and it can flex out. And I think it's what it is, scuff and scar the face of that sensor. And it turns out they're very, very sensitive. I lost everything. I lost the ABS. I lost the traction control and I had intermittent errors in the ESA. All of these things are tied together. And if your ESA isn't functional, it may disable your traction control and your ABS because they're all linked together. So you have to spend this money to put the dongle in, which ends up cutting into the cost savings, whether you keep ESA or whether you lose it. And I know the Beamer shop, they're pretty good. If you buy one, they'll give you the second one. That's not always true for, for others. It really boils down to a rider's choice. If you'll never touch suspension, if you don't understand it, if you don't care, I will guarantee a swap from the OEM over to one of these, over to attractive suspension setup will be a, a significant improvement that you're going to notice. But obviously, if you really want to have full control and you understand suspension, and you want to learn it, then you need to have full manual control of it. Interesting. You know, I have to be candid. It opens up as many questions as it resolves, but it's, I mean, this is really fruitful for sure. I, again, just to speak to this in a, in a very associative manner, it's like as new to the GS world as I am, I mean, I would, had no intention. And to be really frank, I looked at them before and I said, well, why would I want to drive that? It's like driving a Ford Explorer. But once I got on it and started driving it, I actually really, really liked the bike a lot. But it is a bit of a change in my style, and I've never been on a dirt road before other than as a 14-year-old kid on a dirt bike. So it's it's really interesting. It, it's a little disconcerting at times, you know, just getting used to it and understanding what skills you have to focus on. But the suspension just seems so uh, intrinsic to to that, or at least that's my, you know, my, my initial kind of response. Maybe in part, like, you know, the first time you hit a piece of mud and you're just like, wow, this is something completely different with a big bike. ESA and suspension is something that a lot of people poo-poo, but it's in Ducati, Honda has it, Yamaha has it. I mean, it is here, it is present, and it is going to be a future and part of our future as riders. And they do make our bikes better. There are times when technology can't keep up with other environmental changes. And that's one of the things I, I know about traction control and is as good as traction control is. And, and the KTM was the first time I got on something where I was like, oh my God, this is seamless. I can't tell. But my 2017 BMW, the, the traction control on that is really impressive. <laughs> you know, it's, it's certainly no slouch when you get off-road and you're using this. It does help make us better. But we do still need to stay in tune with what that technology does, what it hides, and how we perform as riders, and just embrace that. Every technology has a plus or a minus, and that tail lever suspension is absolutely phenomenal on road. It feels good. It doesn't have dive. In fact, BMW can use a pretty poor quality shock and still have very good suspension because of that design feature. And there is a time where you'll end up wanting to trade out suspension, doing more than just touring and gravel roads. If you're starting to push the limits of yourself and your bike, you're going to end up going, I really want this to feel better. But one of the drawbacks to that is it's a very numb feedback feel from the front end. You get on a conventional bike and you'll feel every rock and every bump that kicks out from that tire. And when you get on the 1200 GSs with that tail lever, it just feels a little numb. 
And you end up becoming more predictive and expecting and knowing what's going to happen rather than reacting to what's happening immediately because it's so delayed and so numb that by the time you realize it, it's too late. Very different if you're coming from a conventional suspension bike and moving over to a telelever, a, a GS, you know, with that that style suspension. Yeah, no, it's it's true. The front's very different in that track, but the traction control is amazing. My thing, which so last year, and I took this one corner, and I just I completely missed it, and I ended up into the shoulder and something that got a lot tighter than I thought. You know, just said, okay, got to look up, got to look where you're going, just keep it level on the on the throttle, and don't go one way or the other too quick. And boy, the bike, this the traction control, just pulled me right through that corner into some pretty loose stuff and got me out fine. I was shocked. That's the first time I ever encountered something like that. It is remarkable that traction control. That running wide in a corner thing—that's what my talk was all about. Just the other day was trail braking. I'm dying to get into a good podcast about trail braking, and I really want to get a good video out because I don't think riders realize how important it is to have a riding style that prevents you from running too fast into a corner. I guess the only thing I can say is never, ever, ever commit to more than what you can see in front of you, and that's true off-road. I see riders just sticking to the off-road theme and the ADB rider. I'm going to throw this out to anybody listening Never, ever, ever, ever ride faster than what you can see. We're not racing. We're not doing a car race. We're not 20-year-olds on dirt bikes. Most of us are past our middle age, and we're on very large motorcycles that are touring bikes that we're taking off-road. And when you start riding fast, it's not that you can't ride fast, but it's like having a 4 by 4 in the snow. I can go, but I still can't stop or turn. These big GSs are kind of the same thing. You put, even with aggressive adventure style knobbies on them if you're going with the motos or or something like that when it's time to stop or turn heavy and things need to get aggressive they are still 300 kilos it's 600 pounds of mass barreling down on limited traction we always have to be very aware of that because it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt and you realize exactly how far you are away from help and that your cell phone doesn't work we always have to keep that in mind and Thinking of where we're going on this conversation about suspension, having a bike that is well settled, well planted, that's all going to come back to that margin of safety. Or if you want to push things, it allows you to safely get up and get a little more speed and still be able to maintain more traction than if you had a bike that's not as settled or properly set up. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, that the the trail braking. So after that encounter, going back and really trying to relearn, and I looking at the lecture you did in even New Zealand that you'd posted a while ago and then reading up about trail breaking and following that. I mean, it makes so much sense. And subsequent to that event I was talking about doing that work and then going out and practicing a bit and looking at it, it made just so much sense. I found it really allowed a level of security, but also smoothness and elegance to what I was trying to do on the bike. Uh, it, it made such a difference. You know, I was always questioning myself, why does this not feel comfortable? Why do I feel at some level of probably less control than I would have liked? And it just made such sense and clarity when you talked about how we don't know and how practically the trail braking really starts to create a much more realistic way to, to deal with what's happening on a road I've never been on before. 
And anybody that's listening, I you know, I very clearly identify trail braking as a planned, deliberate deceleration before the turn point. The idea is that trail braking isn't necessarily a high performance skill set just used on racetracks. It's not dragging your rear brake, and it's not something you should do to react when you've made a mistake. Trail braking is the plan. It's not the reaction. And what we're doing is we're slowing down so that as we go into a corner, we continue to have control over our speeds that we're never riding faster than we can watch. And one of the questions I ended up on that lecture was, how does trail braking apply in the off-road world if I'm riding in the trail? And we don't trail brake in the same way. But as I've stated before, and I'll state again and again and again and again, we never ride faster than what we can see. And when I'm riding on gravel roads and through dirt roads, I'm using both brakes. You don't come through corners and think you're going to stop using the back brake. Even when I'm cornering, even when I'm riding, I've always got that finger, at least one finger out on that brake lever. And off-road, chances are it's just one finger. Where on the road, I might have two or, well, I usually don't have more than two, maybe three if the lever fits. But this application really continues through both in strategy and Again, Jake, with your discussion or your questions about suspension, we're going, how do we have fun? How do we stay safe? Here's how I want to close this up. What are you going to do, Jake? Are you sticking with what you have? Are you going to take the leap? Uh, are you still going to think about some things? What's the end, end result here? I'm going to ride this season on my suspension. And then I think I'll look at uh, next winter doing the conversion. Just kind of knowing where I'm at and what skills I'm going to work on this summer. I I'd rather put that money in a bit more safety gear, you know, new pair of boots and things like that. And then uh, as I build up my skill, then I'm going to switch it. I'm going to be riding this year within the ability of the suspension system. And then I think next year is the year to invest in it. What I just heard Jake say is go, well, you know, maybe my limitation isn't the motorcycle or the suspension. Maybe it's me. And if I'm a newer rider to off-road, then I probably should think about what's going to happen if and when I fall off the bike. Hopefully we're not going to crash. We're going to tip over. I make my living training riders. And what I do online, what I do on video is just, you know, a small part of me sharing those things that I, that I put out there. And what a lot of riders don't recognize or can't recognize when I do videos, these are often formula based, do this to accomplish this. What they're missing is when I'm working with somebody in person, the ability to explain the dynamics around things. So we're not working with formulas, but we're based on the forces and actions and results and what we do and what those results are. And the best investment any rider can make, at least in my opinion, is in training and education. Put an expert rider on an inferior bike. You take an expert rider and you put them on a KLR and then you give an amateur any other bike on the market, give them a 790, give them an 850, give them anything they want that's in the adventure category and watch what happens. Jake, thank you very much for doing a podcast with me today and sharing your question, your challenges, your concerns, and your uh, knowledge with all of those that are listening to the podcast today. All of you listening, thank you very much. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast that is supported 100% by supporters like Jake through Patreon to keep the hosting, to keep the production, to keep the equipment alive and going well here. And this podcast is based on riders' needs. And I try with 
everything to get riders with real questions, real concerns like Jake on here. That's what that makes it fun. We also bring on occasionally other experts, other instructors to share their knowledge and experience. If you enjoyed it, please consider joining me on Patreon. If you can't afford it, then don't let that slow you down. Please continue to watch, continue to share with other riders. And thanks. Have a great day. Now's the time to turn off your computer, turn off your listening device, go grab your gear and go for a ride. Remember, always smile while you ride because attitude truly does matter.